Father, again, we thank you for all that you have given us in Christ. And Lord, we do want to honor and glorify your name. Lord, we sing your praises at this moment. may have been true throughout this week that we really sought to bring honor to you. Father, again, we thank you that you have freed us, freed us from sin, freed us from Satan, freed us from spiritual death. You've even freed us from ourselves. Lord, thank you that we can be free to serve others and to truly honor you. Pray that if there's anyone here that has not put their faith and trust in Christ, and if they're not truly free, that today might be their day of salvation. Father, I pray for the rest of us who are believers, who may be shackled to some form of legalism. I ask that you'd give us wisdom as we look into our own lives, our own motivations. I pray that our highest desire would be to follow your spirit and your word. Lord, not to conform simply because it's someone else's man-made rules. Father, we ask that our lives would be changing because our hearts are changing. And we ask that you might give us wisdom because I think it's very pervasive as far as legalism. So we ask for your wisdom. We ask for your conviction into our hearts. Help us to truly focus, truly learn so that we might change and grow for your honor and glory. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. If you'd like to turn your Bibles, we're going to start in Galatians. We've been on this verse for a long time, I know. Trying to cover a lot of different aspects of Galatians 5.13. It's really a transition in, in the book of Galatians. Where Paul tells them, brethren, you've, you've been called to liberty, to freedom. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You know, as Americans, we are freedom-loving people, aren't we? We want to pursue freedom. Life, liberty, and what? Pursuit of happiness. And it guided our nations for an, a nation for a number of years. In the last 30, 40 years, it's been interpreted differently. See, it used to be freedom had the context of community. It wasn't me individually that mattered. It was us as a group, as a nation. People were willing to go off to war and even die, not for themselves, but so that others could have freedom. It was about the community. And back about 50 years ago, it started changing, where now it's about the individual having freedom. And that's why so many things are messed up. That's why so many decisions, even in the courts, don't make any sense any longer. Not only is it not biblically based, but the focus is on the individual, not as the corporate group. Now, the reason I say that is, in a church, liberty can get the same way. When he says we have liberty, we have to make sure that we read the rest even of this verse, through love, serve one another. That's the, huge, that's the, that's the major point here. We have to love one another. That, we've been given liberty, freedom to love one another. As you remember last week, I gave you three key words. The first one was liberty or freedom. That's in the text. The second word is love. Remember, as I said, as a fish is to water, we are free to love. In other words, as a fish is to water, we are to others as far as to love them. A fish needs its context of water, otherwise it dies. And we need to see freedom in the context of loving one another. 
It's not about ourselves. When we see that word freedom, please don't read yourself into that like, this is all about me. Uh, it's really about us and what God, how God would want us to function. So the word freedom, love, and the last word was unity. If we have true freedom and true biblical love, then we're going to be working towards unity. By the way, if the love is not expressed in community, then there'll be separation, there'll be divisions. In other words, if we put, if we make love all about me, then it would just be all kinds of factions. So we have to remember that we're talking about liberty, freedom. We're talking about loving. We're talking about unity. Again, true freedom is freedom to be myself as God made me and meant me to be. God made me for loving, but loving is self-giving. In order to be myself, I have to give myself selflessly to others in love. Okay, you get that? Kind of a mouthful. But the point is, is, is that He has freed us from ourselves so that we can selflessly serve Him, God, and others. And that's really where real freedom is. It's moving away from self-centeredness, moving towards others, and being willing to sacrifice on their behalf. That's what true freedom is. That's authentic freedom that he's talking about in verse 13. Now again, we have a lot of freedom issues. And that's where we got in last week as far as these gray areas. In other words, as you look at, and I'm not going to mention them all, but as you look at music and style and dress and talk and the things that you do, the, 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 the media that you participate in, as you, as you think about dating as you think about politics even, and, and the things that you celebrate and how you celebrate it. I mean, I'm thinking of like things such as Christmas, Halloween, food can be thrown in there. Um, of course, the, the gray areas of drinking and dancing and all those. And I, when I'm saying drinking, I mean, I'm not saying drunk, I'm saying just drinking wine even. They're all gray areas. But the idea is those freedoms, this is the point, cannot be used to destroy someone else's freedom, destroy someone else's Christian life. And they can be, by the way. Um, example would be this. If, let's, say, let's say you're a woman that grew up in the South, and in the South you had to wear a dress. It was like you didn't ever wear slacks. If I tried to get you to wear slacks, like, come on, that's not, that's a, you know, whatever. Just forget that. Just, you know, move on. And, and you violated your conscience, I just, I just caused you to fall. We have to be very careful how we push our freedom on someone else. Uh, we have to make sure that they're convinced, we're going to look at that more next week, but that we don't become a stumbling block. There are certain things that I would be willing to not do simply because it might be a stumbling block to you. And, and hopefully that's the way our freedoms play out. It's, it's freedom for the group. It's not freedom about myself. So again, we have to stand in our freedom. Now again, standing in our freedom means we have to stand against legalism. And again, I'm not talking about legalism. Most of the book of Galatians up to this point, Paul would have defined legalism as earning my way to, to heaven, adding good works to Christ's sacrifice. In other words, not believing that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was sufficient. I need to add something to that. And that's lethal. That's like drinking antifreeze with your water. Okay, That's lethal to the gospel of Christ. We get saved by justification by faith alone. Right? We're justified by faith and not by faith plus works. So again, we have to be careful that, uh, I mean, that's the truest definition of legalism, adding good works to your salvation or thinking you can. 
Again, if you are not a believer in Christ, you have to understand that because of your sin against God, God does condemn you. But that Christ's sacrifice on the cross paid for your sin. And what you have to do is repent and turn from the direction of your life and look to Christ and what he did on the cross and believe and receive his sacrifice for you alone. That's it. Nothing else. There's no other good works. There's nothing else you have to do. You just have to receive Christ, and based on his sacrifice, he'll forgive you. In fact, that's what we're going to be celebrating in just a few moments at the Lord's table, that he came and sacrificed for us. Not that he came, plus we have to do something. No, he came, he sacrificed for, on our behalf, he became our substitute, and based on his sacrifice, we can be saved. It's enough. It was finished. But now, this is the point of, this is from this point on, what I'm trying to get at is this. There's another form of legalism, and that says that after salvation, yes, I understand that Christ alone, but now I have to set up all these boundaries, and we become Pharisees even as Christians. All these things that we want to see, um, all these standards that become actually suprascriptural. In other words, we put them on top of Scripture. So legalism, in this sense, is when a Christian errs by adding their own man-made rules and traditions to the ethical teaching of Scripture. They, they add something. Not for salvation, but for sanctification, to become more spiritual. In other words, if I do this, I'm more spiritual. And if you don't, well, you're not spiritual. Eh, you might be a Christian, but you're not spiritual. In other words, thinking that somehow God will love me more if I do this. Do we understand that even if I'm sinning as a believer, God's love has not changed towards me? God's love is based on his love for his son. And if I'm in his son, my, his love for me is, is consistent. If I'm in Jesus, it's because, Christ, because God loves Christ that he loves me consistently. It's not like this. Well, you know, I sinned, thought some bad thoughts, and all of a sudden God's love went down. And now, you know, oh, now I repented. God's love is here. And, and, oh, yeah, and then I got angry with my lovely wife. And, oh, now I repented, so he followed it. His love is like this. I do this. His love is consistent. His love for you is consistent. Uh, we have to be careful how we look at, you know, it's not human love. It's divine love. God loves us. That's very hard for some people to grab. Why? Because, well, probably because they lived in a home where everything was conditional. But again, when it comes to God's love, he loves you not based on what you did, but what his son did. And when you were placed in his son, he, he loves you because he loves you because he loves his son. Isn't that a great truth? See, as you come to the table, you're not saying, well, Lord, I've been really good, therefore you're pleased with me. No, no. I mean, your son, that's why you're pleased with me. Outside of that, there's no, there, our righteousness, what did it say? Is as filthy. By the way, that word is very, very vivid, very putrid. It's, it's the idea of, you know, of gauze that were placed on a bloody wound after four days in the hot sun, and that's what he's talking about. That's how your righteousness looks. But again, legalism puts, wants to build these more of these structures. I liked what Max Licato said, legalism makes my opinion your burden. My opinion, your burden. It makes my opinion your boundary. It makes my opinion your obligation. It's very, very... Uh, legalism creates in a church hard, rigid, um, lifeless, superficial. Uh, what other words can I use? 
it, it's, it's something that we need to be on the uh, watch for because I think it, it's, it's pervasive. I'm going to show you in a moment. Is I'm not talking house rules. Uh, we can be very, very strict and standard in house rules as long as we don't say that that's biblical. Okay, I, I'll show you that also. But again, the, the defenders of legalism has always been the Pharisees. That's who we would go to immediately. Let me read you a quote because I, I find this interesting. Because you can, can you think of anybody like this that's a legalist, that's a Pharisee, that's a Christian that you know? The man said this, Originally, the Pharisees had no greater task than to protect and propagate the law of God. They had so much respect for Scripture and, and they so desperately wanted to protect the Scripture that they started adding to the Scripture, in a sense building fences around the law so that they didn't come close to disobeying the actual law. I know people like that. Their intentions are very good. It's not like they're out to you know, make the law of God of no effect. In fact, what they're trying to do is be, listen, this is important stuff. This is eternities at stake. But after a while, it not only seemed helpful to make additions, but absolutely essential that God's moral law, his ceremonial law, and his dietary laws were not enough for them. In other words, what's in the scriptures is good, but it needs to be added to. It needs to be improved, the new and improved version. So even though the law was already burdensome, they developed, I think I said last week, 365 new rules, one for each day of the year, to add on top of what already existed as far as in the written law. They couldn't, they weren't free. By the way, they weren't saved. They weren't free, but the idea is that they kept adding. The counterpart to the Pharisee today, then, are the people who are afraid to live only with God's word and in the way that the word says to live it. To biblical principles, they add rules and regulations and standards and then come to the point of believing they are part of the scriptures themselves. If I try to convince you that you should never drink wine, that is incorrect if I'm trying to use the Bible because the Bible doesn't say that. If I tell you you have to cut your hair or the you know, length of whatever or the things that you wear... Now, there are biblical principles that do point to some things that you ought to do. I mean, you shouldn't walk around like a harlot. You shouldn't dress like a harlot. But that's based on biblical principle. But there are things in the scriptures that we want to say, this is God's word that says it, and really it's based on principle. In other words, they create their own moral standards that are not revealed in scripture, and then place those standards on a par with the commands and principles of Scripture. What ends up happening is you create morally weak people because externals become the issue, not the internals of the heart. You also create people who don't have a lot of wisdom because they've been just given the list. They've just been given the list. You know, as long as you follow my list, you know, if you want to go to the Scripture, that's fine, but, you know, just follow my list. You know, it's It's sad. Again, I don't want to confuse legalism with not having standards. The point is this. A legalist fears the fact that God's principles are not structured with rules. In other words, he fears that people will just kind of run, run amok without these. And he doesn't have a great belief in the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. Okay, There's a fear that really God may... Not really work, so I need to set up the, the boundaries. And it turns out to be like in John 12, 
verse uh, 43. There were some people that made professions of faith, but then did not want to actually tell everyone else that they had believed. Look at verse 42, 1243, 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Here's a group that actually started believing what Christ said, but they didn't want to be numbered because the Pharisees just kind of stomped them down. For they loved, these are the people that didn't profess Christ, they loved the praise of man more than the praise of God. And sometimes with the externals, what's happening is we love the praise of men. You know, I often wonder, why is it Phariseeism is so prevalent? And why is it? Because it is easy. We are herd type people. We like to make sure everybody kind of looks us. We don't really want anybody out in front, you know, just kind of stay with us. We feel comfortable. Again, we have to be careful. Legalism is easy because it's very judgmental. It's very proud. Very self-righteous. What does Matthew 26 say? Uh, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak, and the flesh likes to hang on to things that show that it's good. It's fleshly. In fact, one guy said this, there's something comfortable about reducing Christianity to a list of do's and don'ts. Whether your list comes from the mindless fundamentalism or mindless liberalism, either side, you always know where you stand. And this helps reduce anxiety. The do's and don'ts have the advantage that you don't need wisdom. You don't need the book. You just need the list. So you don't have to think subtly or make hard choices. You don't have to relate personally to the demanding of, of the demands of a loving Lord. You don't have to... You just, just have the list. So like if my kid comes and says, I want to get my ear pierced? No. Because, you know, I don't want to deal with it. And if my, you know, I want to go and stay out to 1 o'clock, well, let me think about that. But what's harder? Well, listen, let me come up with some biblical principles that would guide our decision to that point rather than just no. Now, the right response... And by the way, I'm I'm trying to add on, because last week I ran through it so fast, I didn't add some of this stuff. But what are some of the right responses that we should have to legalism? One, again, always look for heart change. You always got to look for heart change. In other words, it's not... See, a legalist... This is the thing. A legalist would be okay... Many men have a problem with pornography. A legalist would be okay to say, okay, I haven't turned the computer on to look at that image in the last two months. But a person who's walking with God would say, but wait a second, have I lusted? Because it's not about the external, it's about the heart. Do you see the difference? The legalist will be very satisfied that, uh, well, I don't drink, I don't drink. But then again, they may totally abuse their body in other areas with food. But because they don't drink, everything's okay. You see how the, do you see how that works? Um, or they don't even make sense. Like I told you, one time a man came to me, a Christian, who said, "It is sinful, John, for you to dance with your wife." This was back when we started dance classes. I had seven kids with her. You, do, you, do you see how? Do you see how legalism doesn't make sense? Okay, you got to be careful. It's heart change that we're talking about, like like Ephesians. 
Again, put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And notice what he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Those are all the immaterial. And put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. It's got to do with heart. Another one I wrote down for you. Let's recognize that God's word clearly says some things are wrong. Wrong. Just absolutely wrong. Thus saith the Lord, the imperatives of Scripture, the commands of Scripture. Study and teach the whole counsel. And know that within the whole counsel, there are a lot of gray areas. I think it's real important that people just know up front, yeah, there are a lot of gray areas, and it's going to take the wisdom of biblical principle to decide the direction that you need to go as an individual, remembering the whole group. So we have to be honest. How about another one I didn't st- uh, mention? Don't overestimate your importance and authority that is found in Scripture. Don't overestimate your importance. Have you ever heard this? Uh, don't touch the Lord's anointed. It's like sometimes when a uh, Either a pastor or a father speaks, it's almost like from God himself. That's not true. This is what I want you to remember. My authority stops where the Scripture's authority stops. I don't have any more authority beyond what the Scripture says. And you don't either. Do we understand that? Our authority stops... I don't wear a collar. Not about the church. It's about the Scriptures. You see what I'm saying? My authority stops where the Scripture stops. If I'm going to say, thus saith the Lord, first question, well, tell me where it says it. You should ask me. Now, again, sometimes there are other passages that lead into it. Another one, don't micromanage other believers. In other words, we're not looking for cookie-cutter believers. Be careful to distinguish between house rules and God's rules. I'll give you a house rule. Let's say a church rule. And I don't even know if this is in our Constitution, but it may say in our Constitution that elders should not drink, period. That's acceptable. Now, we have to remember that First uh, Timothy says don't drink in excess. But if the church decides, it says, you know what, because let's say our church was a Russian church. And you know, uh, in Russia, there's a lot of alcoholism. It's huge. It's huge. They may, as a church, decide, you know what, because there is so much abuse... We're just going to say, listen, leaders, we know that you could drink wine. I mean, even Paul said, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. But because of the area we're in, and because it could be a real stumbling block, would you be willing to sacrifice your freedom and say that you won't do it? You see what I'm saying? That's a house rule. That's not, that's not God's rule. God's rule says, I think I could prove God's rule said, no, you can have wine at the, at, you know, with a meal. You can't abuse it, not in excess. But see, that's a house rule. In other words, don't micromanage other believers. Understand the difference. That, that is so huge. I had someone ask me this week, well, I thought you said we all have freedom. Yeah, but there are such a thing as house rules. I know if I went to Ed Phelps' house, I'm sure he has a bunch of house rules. Some of them aren't even biblical. <laughs> in other words, they're not stated in Scripture as thus saith uh, uh, God. It says thus saith Ed. Now, I'm saying that I'm saying that's okay. The Bible does say that he is the leader. And if he decides that this is what the, the way the house... As long as he distinguishes for his kids... By the way, it's the same way in my house and your house. As long as you distinguish... Listen, these are God's rules and these are things that as I see and I'm supposed to be the leader that I'm going to set up for right now where you're under my house. There's nothing wrong with that. 
just distinguish that. Number Another one, don't be threatened by those who disagree with you. Sometimes we get threatened. Oh, oh they're leaving the herd. Because <laughs> we're a herd mentality. <laughs> Got to get him back in the herd. He's growing his hair a little bit too long. Did I see a ring somewhere that I shouldn't be? No, 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 wait a second here. Let's be careful. The herd doesn't have to be that tightly wound. Don't be threatened when, by those who disagree with you. No, I believe that you can watch pornography on TV. Now that's, thus saith the Lord. Uh, no, I believe that I can cheat on my wife. Thus saith the Lord. No, I believe that I can covet. I want more. That's, thus saith the Lord. Uh, I believe that I can gossip and it's okay. Thus saith the Lord. Right? Now we're talking about house rules. We're talking about things that are the gray areas. And finally, be patient. Be patient with other people's sanctification process. God's patient with you. By the way, we call it progressive sanctification. Because it is progressive. You know, I, I was reading a book yesterday. I learned some new truths I had not learned up to this point in my life. Can you believe that? After 49 years of living, I'm actually still learning. Well, that's how it is with other people. I think we need to be very patient. Be patient. It doesn't mean that you can't ask them questions in the directions that they're going. A lot of people are foolish in the directions they're going. You can ask questions, but I still think you need to ask, you know, be patient, especially if what they're doing is not clearly forbidden in Scripture. So again, we have to be careful that we're not making judgments on people. Remember Corinthians 4 says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring, both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels, of the hearts? See, it's God that's going to reveal the counsel of the heart. It's God that's going to do that. I can't do that. In fact, sometimes I've even heard it said like this, a person will be, you know, like especially married people. Married people. You, you can't judge each other, but sometimes as they're talking, especially they get heated, uh, I know what you're thinking. No, you don't. Well, why would you even say it? I know what you're thinking. I, I know why you did that. I, I can't say that about my wife. I, I, I might have, actually, at times. But what I'm saying is that's not acceptable. I, I don't know her motives. Now, some of her things, I kind of sense what her motivation is, but I better be careful not, like, making a judgment on and I, uh, motives. And, I, and each of us have to be careful, too. See, the thing is this. He puts us together and then wants us to operate well together. And to do that, we need to see our own freedom, but then say, you know, but I'm not going to judge. In the sense of just judging and having these lists. Well, let me have you turn to Corinthians. That was a long intro. No, I, I, I knew I, no, I, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> let me give you three principles this week and four next week, and we're wrapping this all up, okay? We're, we'll be done by next week. I knew we had communion this week. We looked at legalism. We know what it kind of looks like. We know some of the principles on how to approach legalism. Now I need to give you the other side and say, well, let's look at the principles. What are some of the principles that are, should guide you in making decisions in the gray areas? You, you should be able to do this. Think of, think of these as like the grid. And you put your gray area in deciding, should I do it, should I not? And you should put them through this grid like a sieve. And sometimes after it, you'll say, you know what, I have personal freedom to do it, but because of how it's going to affect the body, I'm not going to. 
The first one is, you can fill this in, the edification principle. It's the building up principle. And it's basically this question, will this activity produce spiritual benefit for me and others? You have to ask that. This, and by the way, it's found in 1 Corinthians 10.23. 10.23. And if you know Corinthians, you know that he has written a lot about uh, immorality and how they should act. He's, he's written a lot about food offered to idols and the freedom that they had to eat the food, but how it could be a stumbling block. And by the time he gets to verse 23, he's kind of wrapping this up. This is like the big general principle for the book up to this point. So I'm actually going to put this first, though in a minute we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 6. But this is like the overarching principle. And it's stated this way, all things are lawful for me. In other words, I have freedom. When he says lawful, he means freedom. This is a freedom mission for me. But not all things are helpful. The word helpful means useful or advantage. It's not a benefit. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. I have freedom in all these things, but not everything edifies. So I'm using the word edification, the edification principle. This is a key principle in deciding whether or not you have freedom in that area, that gray area. By the way, verse 24 says, Let no one seek his own, but each one's, the other's well-being. You get that? The edif- so as I'm walking through life, I've got to be careful that I don't make someone else stumble. By the way, if I make someone else stumble, the way the Bible looks at that is that they are, this is very important, that they are the weaker brother. Unfortunately, the person that stumbles tries to present themselves as the stronger brother. That's not how Scripture sees it. I, as a stronger brother, am willing to forgo my freedom for you as a weaker. You get that? That's very, very important because, again, many times it's the weaker brother that causes all the problems because they're saying, well, this is a standard. Be careful. So, does this build up? Does this promote Christian virtue? Is this constructive? Will it promote the spiritual being of other believers if they engage in the same practice that is permissible for me? Again, as you, as you look at some of these issues, you know, how you deal with a lot of the, the, the social issues. You know, the drinking and the smoking and the dancing and the television and the movies and Facebook. No, let's go on that one later. Um, the point is, is, is there things in my life that I would, I would forego simply because it might make someone else... Yes, I better be able to do that. That shows Christian maturity. If I'm just trampling my, my freedoms, then it doesn't show that I care about anybody but me. Doesn't that sound like our America? No, we have to be willing to forgo. There are certain things that perhaps are in my life that I don't show the public, and I don't mean sinful issues. I'm saying freedom issues. I'm not going to parade around and say, well, this is I can do this. And again, it should happen in the same way to you. You know, does this encourage me and others to grow spiritually? Is this, is this an activity that I would want others to imitate? Um, like chapter 11, verse 1, imitate me. This is just a few verses later. Just I, as, as I also am imitate Christ. You know, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me. You can follow me in this. 
I remember back a few years ago, um, you know, would I put some money in the slot machine? No. Not because I think it's necessarily sinful, because I could kind of call it as a, a form of entertainment. But I won't do it simply because what if a person is watching me and say all of a sudden, well, I guess it's okay to gamble. Now you may say, well, that's really strict. I would just say it this way. It's, not, it's a freedom issue. I don't have to put the money in. Why would I bother? It just makes someone possibly stumble. I remember years ago, there was a church that um, I went out to Willow Creek, the big church, Bill Hybels. And, and for their youth group, they showed a clip of Lethal Weapon 1 with Bill Gibson, or, uh, not Bill Gibson, Mel Gibson. And um, anyways, they just showed the one clip of him standing with his friend, or sitting with his friend, I guess. But the point was is this. It so affected me, I thought, well, this must be a great movie. It was shown in, in church. So I went out and, and uh, rented it that night. No, there's a difference there. See, what I do does have effect on other people. It's the edification principle. How about this? The enslavement principle. That's the second one. The enslavement. Or you might want to put in, if you don't like all these, the mastery principle. Will this activity lead me to spiritual bondage? Is it a practice that over time will tend to master and enslave me? Is it habit forming? That's the point. 1 Corinthians 6.12. He's... Uh, He just got done talking about the fact of bringing each other to court. And he says again, now you notice the language, all things are lawful for me. This is a freedom issue, but all things are not helpful. When he says lawful, he's not saying, well, I I can swear and that's lawful. He's saying, listen, there's a lot of freedom issues out here. And all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any, the authority of any, the mastery of any. There won't be anyone else or anything else that is my master. So, you take a gray area. To do things that are spiritually profitable, we must avoid temptation or activities that might result in personal enslavement. Is this activity potentially destructive? Will it stimulate a desire that will be difficult to control? Now, by the way, the context is sexual immorality. You see that in verse 18. But he's moving beyond that and saying, listen, is this activity something that is addictive, habit-forming, enslaving, destructive? Am I going to be like in bondage to it? And again, as you go through a list, I mean, some of the things we do are very addictive. Some of you, when you run home, have to watch the Weather Channel. Find out what's on Fox News. Have to check Facebook internet, games. Boy, a lot of times those are the addictive things. I remember Charles Ryrie saying one time, he, um, he used to watch a movie and periodically not finish to the end. And he'd say, well, why? Because he wanted to prove to himself he wasn't addicted to have to know what the ending was. That was it. He just wanted to say, am I really addicted to it or, or can I just shut it off with 10 minutes to go? I don't even know who the murderer was, but it's okay. Music can be addictive. You know, the whole, all the vices that we sometimes think of as vices can be very addictive. There's a lot of things that are addictive out there. I think right now media is, is one of the big ones. I think a lot of people are addicted to all kinds of media, and they would say this, I'm not addicted. 
It's like the drunk I, I, I talked to years ago, and he always told me he wasn't addicted to, to alcohol. He wasn't addicted. Still is an alcohol. This is 20 years later. But he, ne- he wasn't addicted. He could have stopped any time he wanted. I think a lot of us are addicted to media, whether it's news, whether it's games, whether it's Facebook, and we don't even realize it. We would say we're not. Where's my computer? And finally, exposure. Let me give you the third principle. The exposure principle or the defilement principle. So you have the edification principle. Is this building me up? Is it building other people up? The enslavement principle. Is this becoming a mastery in my own life? I found myself, I mean, it's just so simple. I'll walk into the, I mean, this is, these are habits. That's all I'm saying when I mean enslavement. It's habits that become something that are important. I started becoming a news junkie. I needed to know what Fox, what did Hannity say? What does it matter? Thankfully, through a, a Christian brother who chastened me gently, I started to, oh, I listened to him periodically, but not nearly like I did. Did you hear that, kids? Not nearly like I used to. They always like pushing me too. And then the exposure. Will this activity expose my mind and body to defilement? Just jump. If you're in verse 12, look at verse 19. It's right in the same chapter. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Notice you use the word body. Who is in you whom you have from God, and you're not your own. Your body is the temple. Your body. That's the body. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. That's your mind, which are God's. I think some versions may not have spirit. But the idea is both there, that you have both your body and your spirit, they're God's. So this is the exposure principle. In other words, will this activity expose my mind to defilement? Let's take the the last one first. In Ephesians 5, it has a very interesting verse. Verse 12, For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. It's a shame to see lewd, sinful, debauched elements of our society being portrayed as good. And yet think about all the media that's presented that way. I am hugely concerned for our minds, my mind and your mind, that we allow things on entertainment to go by and we don't even realize how much it's defiling us. And we wonder why we don't have the power of God in our life and it's because of that. And if you're a father or a mother, be careful how much you allow your children because children will watch all day long and if you let them, they would eat ice cream and brownies if you just gave them the choice, right? But that's going to be destructive to their physical body. Why is it we're not so concerned about their spiritual minds? That's so lethal. It's like Philippians says, whatever things are true and noble and just and pure and lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, worthy, meditate on these things. These things. And it's in the, in the uh, present tense. Meditate, think on, count on these things. Force yourself to think on the godly. In the second half of that, of exposure, is has it exposed my body to defilement? Because again, we are to present our members as instruments of righteousness, Romans says. Or as Romans 12 says, I, be, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, a living sacrifice. And later on he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There again, he hits both sides. It's not just about the mind, it's about the body as well. If it defiles the body or pollutes the mind, you ought to avoid it. 
Let me say that again. If it defiles the body or pollutes the mind, you ought to avoid it. That's hard. Hmm. You know, these are lordship principles. This, in other words, if we believe that we are servants of God, slaves of Christ, would, he accept, would this be acceptable to him? This is a stewardship issue. There was a recent study shown that the average American watches more than four hours of TV per day. Now think about that, four hours. And that's just TV. He's not talking about Internet and computer and all the video games that people get hooked on. Which spread over a 70-year lifespan amounts to nearly 12 years of viewing time. What do you think the Lord is going to tell the Christian who has wasted 12 years of their time on this earth? when you stand before Judgment Day. Do you see what I'm saying? This adds up so quickly, and we don't even realize it. It's just kind of like a drip, drip, drip. Right now I have a dripping faucet. And, and if, if I, it actually runs, but if I hit it right, it starts to just thankfully just drip. It'd be interesting to see how many gallons of hot water I lose every day. You know, gotta keep, I got to fix it, I know. But someday. Now think about this. Four hours out of 24, that's a six. That's a six of his life. But eight of those hours, you're going to sleep and stuff like that. So now you're down to about 17 hours. You know what it turns out? A lot of people spend one-fifth of their day in front of the tube. And then again, if you add in the Internet and Facebook and iPods and computer games, they're wasting their life. And it's, it's got huge eternal consequence. Huge because when you stand before the Lord, don't expect well done. What do you mean, well done? Be careful on how you consider that. But you may say, well, I'm not addicted. I can stop at any time. Well, then I would challenge you to shut it off for a day. By the way, I'm not telling you to shut it off tonight so you can't watch the Super Bowl. Start tomorrow. <laughs> and I, I know you're... Really, I, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to encourage my family to do it. Maybe you'll even get real radical and you shut off for a year, uh, not a year, a week. <laughs> hey, would you shut off for a day? Would you ask God, you know what, Lord, am I wasting too much time? Am I wasting too much of my life? You've given me a life, but maybe I'm becoming a little bit too slack. By the way, some of that time is diversionary. I understand that. I love to, you know, I work out and watch something, and I watch other movies, but please don't. And by the way, I'm not going to judge you. It's, up, it's between you and God. But just understand this. He only gives us 24 hours in a day. Your days are numbered, and mine are too. And it is true what Romans says, we will all stand before Christ, right? We will stand before Jesus Christ and give an account of everything we have done. And my job and my passion as a pastor and an elder of this church is to encourage you and encourage myself and say, you know what, be very, very careful how you use your extra time. You know, America has got a great blessing. We're not just working 12 hours a day just to survive. We have a lot of discretionary time on our hands. Unlike some people in India, unlike some people in Africa, we have a lot of discretionary time. Unfortunately, we use that often for ourselves. And we'll look back and we say, you know, I just haven't had much time to pray or really read. I've wanted to read some of these good Christian books. Just don't seem to have time. I'm so busy. 
take a piece of paper sometime and start marking down through the day how busy you really are because a lot of us will find, you know, I'm really busy but with a lot of things that really don't matter. Again, I, I think I, I'm becoming more and more appalled in some respects at Facebook. The things that are out there and the amount of time people who spend on it, I know it has a purpose, but be careful because you can get sucked into that just as easy as other things. I'm going to close with a quote by Kent Hughes. It's one that I've read to you over again. I mean, I've probably read this to you five times over the last few years. But I want you to catch it because this is so convicting. He says this, I'm aware of of the wise warnings against using the words like all, every, and always. Understand that you don't always use those. (laughs) Absolutizing one's pronouncements is dangerous. But Kent goes on and says, I'm going to do it anyways. Here it is. This is the, the statement. It is impossible for any Christian who spends the bulk of his evenings, month after month, week after week, day in, day out, watching the major TV networks or contemporary videos to have a Christian mind. It's impossible. You can't do it. This is always true of all Christians in every situation. A biblical mental program cannot coexist with worldly programming. It's your choice. It's my choice. The flesh is very easy. It moves very easily to just let me have, just let me just relax. But you know what? We are in a battle. The flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And understand that our flesh many times gets the victory. So again, as we go before the Lord, ask yourself, have I judged? Am I judgmental? But is my standard biblical? And let's just end with this biblical standard. Am I really pursuing God or am I really pursuing more of the world? Paul said, I won't be mastered by anything. Remember what I told you about the alcoholic? He was convinced he could quit at any moment. I could quit any time, John. The reality is he was hooked. Still is. You know, in counseling, one of the things we often teach people is replacement. There's actually two things. One is two R's, replacement and radical. If you're going to change, be radical. And when you want to change from one activity to another, make sure you replace the bad activity, the old man, with the new. Okay? Be radical and replace. Now, let me apply this to the mastery principle. I would encourage you. Now, again, I'm not going to judge you for it. But I'm going to encourage you to do this. If you say, you know what, I could shut that thing off anytime. Do it for a week. Shut it off for one week. If we ever lose power, you're going to have to. But shut it off for one week. And after you start, what do I do the first day? I would say this, make a plan and replace what you would normally do. And I would replace it for at least for the first day with this. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. We're going to be there a lot next week. I'm going to read the scriptures, and Lord, I'm going to spend some time, especially if you have found yourself saying, I just have not had time to be in God's word. I would encourage you, at least try it for a day. But even go radical for a week. Now again, if you're saying, whoa, 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 whoa. We're talking about sacrifice. We're talking about being radical. And you know, as we saying that, he is our shepherd, and he wants to lead us besides still waters. He wants to have us lie down in green pastures. He wants to fill our souls. And you know what? I really believe a lot of believers are famished. 
because they've been eating the, the stubble of the world. Their souls have no peace. They have frustrations and hurts and anger and all this other. And they keep saying, Lord, why can't I see victory? And he would say, will you just spend time in my pasture? Because I've given you and I'm the shepherd and I want to see you have victory, but you've got to make, be willing to make sacrifices. If you want to follow me, if you want to walk with me, Make the sacrifice, because I'll feed your soul so rich. You'll, you'll say, how did I ever go without it? Consider it. Father, again, we thank you that you are the shepherd, and we are your sheep. And Lord, some of us have been wasting a lot of our life for things that, when it's all said and done on Judgment Day, will be just a blank screen. Lord, we are going to be held accountable. We thank you that you are the loving, good shepherd. And Lord, I pray that you would convict us in areas that we need conviction in. And Lord, my convictions are not necessarily going to be transposed to someone else's. And yet, Lord, help us to be good stewards because we know that you are Lord. Guide us. Please give us wisdom. And please help us to have the fortitude to do what what you tell us to do, what you convict us of. In Jesus' name, amen.